You have a flight from O'Hare Airport in Chicago to Washington, D.C. that leaves in 30 minutes and you've just arrived to the airport. Plenty of time to check in and walk through the single x-ray of security before making your way across the apron to your plane. It's 1979 and the twilight years of the golden age of air travel. The wind stings your face as you climb the stairs alongside other passengers, where inside a smiling stewardess simply glances over your ticket and gestures you to your seat. You toss your case in the exposed overhead seating and finally settle into your chair. You stretch your legs a little and maybe even decide on a cigarette before takeoff. It's perfectly safe, you secretly remind yourself as the plane picks up speed and takes off. You know it's safe, but something about being in a secured metal tube hurtling at breakneck speeds is still unsettling when you think about it too much. About halfway there, flying over Ohio now. What would the seatbelt even do, you joke under your breath, looking for anything to pass the time. The lunch was unremarkable, but it was warm and filling. You decide to treat yourself to a cocktail to further settle you as you go over your plan when you arrive in DC. Your ride should be there, but if they aren't, you'll have to find a payphone and pray you can get into contact with them, because another cab is out of the question. We crossed into Virginia, I think, you hear somebody say. You're not exactly sure how long ago they said that because you've had your eyes closed for a while now and lost track of time, but you knew it wouldn't be long. Do I even have their phone number written? You go back to anxiously pondering. A noise interrupts your thoughts and even you, a novice flyer, knew instinctively that this noise was unnatural to a plane. You're not certain, but you think you even felt something beneath your feet when you heard that noise. People started coughing and gagging before it was immediately obvious that smoke was seeping in from below. Had something malfunctioned, you think, among a rush of other anxious thoughts while you fumble your oxygen mask with the rest of the passengers? The stewardesses inform everyone that they'll be making an emergency landing, and some try to get everyone to assume the crash positions. Not everyone is of the mind to listen, but it isn't long before everyone else begins to catch on and follow suit. Terror washes over you as your head is tucked between your knees. How fast are we traveling, you think? How fast will the plane be traveling when you hit the ground? This can't really be happening. This only happens in stories or, or news articles about other people. This can't be happening to me, not here, not now. It isn't what you pictured, either. You thought something like this would have screams and cries of chaos, but instead there's just piercing silence. Everyone tucked into the same position, arms folded over them, trying their hardest just to breathe. There's total silence while everyone is locked in their heads, probably screaming all the same thoughts and prayers of a similar kind. Their minds are traveling so fast that they may not have noticed that 25 minutes had gone by. The plane begins its hasty descent and your stomach drops with the plane. Your mind still imagining the noise was some kind of mechanical failure that would inevitably make landing impossible. A glance out the window is a mistake, as speed is much more apparent when one is closer to the ground, but it's one your morbid mind makes anyway. Your stomach lurches once again when the plane wheels make contact with the runway, and the turbulence of being on the road is even more violent of anything up until this point. 
The plane comes to a screeching halt, launching luggage and loose items towards the front. You and the other passengers scramble towards the rear exit, out to the flashing lights of the awaiting emergency personnel. Some are treated for smoke inhalation, bumps and bruises, but everyone miraculously survived whatever just happened. You follow the story along the coming weeks and learn that it was a bomb in the storage beneath the plane and it had the potential to destroy the entire plane and everyone in it, not for a faulty timing mechanism. The FBI was on the case and linked the bomb to others that happened at Northwestern University, labeling the perpetrator or perpetrators under the acronym UNIBOM. The second professor this week is hurt by a male bomb. 16 bombs in 17 years. Bomb was placed inside a hollowed out section of a book. 23 injuries and now a third death. These bombs were now getting stronger. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of A Dark Tale. My name is Joe, and with me is... James, how you doing? I'm James. What's up, everybody? Welcome back. Tonight, we have a classic episode, or a classic case, rather. One of Theodore John Kaczynski, also known as the Unabomber. Yeah. Another classic case that I didn't know a lot about before we started that's the best way to do it, I think. Yeah. They, these are like little book reports for myself. It's a good way of looking um, at it. Yeah. If you like book reports. <laughs> Nerd alert. Now we need the comments to come in and tell us how we failed. No, no. Actually, we've been, I've been getting reading a lot of positive feedback. Yeah, me too. I know somebody's listening in Russia. Yeah, thank Unless you, Unless that's a worm infiltrating our system. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a part of the plan, but <laughs> hey, it's a listen. But uh, recently, we've struck an audience in Australia. Yeah. I don't know if we mentioned this, but welcome to our friends down in the South Pacific. Down under. Is, <laughs> down under. Is the appropriate yeah, location. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we have more listeners in California than we have in our home state. So thanks, friends and family. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Shout out to the West Coast, who are clearly more enlightened. And ironically, the best coast <laughs> in terms of listenership. And Rhode Island, get your shit together. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, Rhode Island, what are you doing? We, I think we added like a play or two. We know what they're doing up uh, there, but... <laughs> Enough bullshit. Yeah, let's get into the case. Um, start with a little bit of background, as we always do. Uh, Ted Kaczynski, as we'll be referring to, or just Ted... I call him Teddy Kaz. Yeah, that's been the nickname through the text in, in and the emails. And it's it's catchy. Teddy Kaz. So Ted was born on May 22nd, 1942 in Chicago, and he grew up in Evergreen Park, Illinois. His parents were of Polish-American descent, and he has a brother seven years younger than himself named David. Um, what can he say about his childhood, really? He went to uh, Sherman Elementary School in Chicago, and uh, during his time there, all the teachers and admin described him as healthy and well-adjusted. So he had a pretty normal childhood growing up. 
Yeah, the uh, view of the Kaczynski family throughout his community was relatively of, uh, they were uh, decent people. Mm-hmm. Uh, his father was an active member in the uh, civic community, or civic service. Uh, I don't have the exact details, but they were very, very well-liked people. Yeah. Well, when he uh, he also moved, uh, you said he, he lived in Evergreen Park. Well, when he moved there, he uh, transferred to the Evergreen Park Central School. So that's a southwestern suburb of Chicago. I don't know if it was during his time there, but at one point or in his early life, he took an IQ test. Okay. How did he do? He did amazing. Amazing. He got a 167, which uh, I heard is good. They didn't even, t- I didn't take an IQ test when I was younger, so I, I, I just assumed mine was not good. They just, <laughs> they, looked, they looked ahead and they were like, we're not even going to tell them about it. Don't even tell them there's IQ Did you tests. take an IQ test when you were a kid? I don't think so. Not, not, no. I, not that I can remember. I don't know. It's just a reoccurring thing that we hear in all these stories about when they took an IQ test. I'm like, when the fuck did they take an IQ test? There was so much standard testing in the grade school years that I can't remember. There's, I took Which, so many tests. Whatever the hell a cat test was. You remember that? They told us it was the California Achievement Test. The well, f- why am I taking it if I live in Philadelphia? Well, that's why you still live in Philadelphia, okay? <laughs> Cal- that's how California <laughs> accepts people. They they get their tests. Well, there's a lot of people in California. I mean, I guess I just struck out. Yeah, no, it's, it's actually a pretty medium bar of entry, really, so... <laughs> <laughs> We're digressing again. He did well. He got a one six shots. Yeah, he got a one sixty seven, and uh, he he was able to skip some. He skipped the uh, the uh, the third grade. Did I say the third grade? I'm pretty sure you did. Sixth 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 grade. I can't say sixth 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 grade. <laughs> That's why I wasn't allowed the IQ test. Yeah. Um, But uh, so that was that was about middle school. He skipped his first, yeah, and grade he, and uh, not I, first grade, but the first grade he skipped was yeah, sixth. Yeah, and moving into high school, I think he ends up. Uh, he's he's involved in uh, a few things. Um, he plays trombone in the marching band. He was part of the math club, the bio club, the coin and German clubs, and also participated as an active member. As I said, the marching band. <laughs> what the f- I wrote it twice. Forgive me. <laughs> um, but despite all of his achievements through high school, he was still viewed as more of a social outcast by most of his peers. And um, later on in 1996, after he was arrested, a former classmate would come forward claiming to be a former classmate anyway said he was never really seen as a real person or a personality he was just more seen as a like an egghead a brain yeah i can imagine if if you skip a grade that puts you in a, a an awkward social yeah position. it sets you in a, a group of peers that are just older than you and probably not not too kind right i mean that's that's an awkward place to put anybody yeah and um from what else we read about Ted in his uh, early life? He wasn't a socially conscious person to begin with. Uh, when pushed into social situations, his parents said he would kind of shut down and like become a little internal. Well, his whole thing was math. See, in high school, his interest was really intensified. 
and in his off time in his spare time he would spend hours solving really advanced problems and studying theories he would learn to master later on mm -hmm. but after he would finish his homework and pretty much master the textbook he would just fill his time with harder and harder equations yeah that's just how he enjoyed his time he didn't really consider having a social life i don't think now i think fast forwarding to the way we see and what we know about things now uh, uh, that rings a lot of bells um even his mom thought so too i think he she tried to bring him into a, a group for autism at one point yeah because she thought you know, being so socially awkward. Yeah, that was like even... Yeah, but it he was, was that maybe much, on the spectrum. Yeah, yeah, that much was even known then. But she didn't, like, go through with it. I think the guy who was leading the... Uh, yeah, the guy leading the study was, like, really rude or, like... Yeah, and I read up on him, too. He, he, had, he had, like, a whole controversial history of, like, corporal punishment and shit like oh, that. Like, border, yeah, abuse. Um, so you know, for good good reason, she didn't so want to go... she made a good call. Yeah, she didn't want to stick him in that. Um, it, I don't think we dealt with autism correctly uh, until maybe recently, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> so, I mean, to, you know, you don't really Depends know. on who you talk to. Yeah. If you're talking to the anti-vaxxers. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I don't, I, I think the jury was still out as to whether or not he, he is on the spectrum. But um, he he had. I, I'm not sure about that. We'll we'll touch on that later, though. But yeah, I mean, that, he he developed enough social skills to navigate life. Yeah, life. Like he, in, he. I mean, well, his life. Yeah, he was. He passed through. He, I, and, you know, if he, he was dealt on, with people as little as possible, though he yeah. wasn't. He wasn't striking up any conversations. Yeah. Believe me. Um. Anyway, throughout high school, he was so far ahead of his classmates, academically speaking. Um, that after being placed in an advanced mathematics class, he mastered his material and was allowed to skip his sophomore year. So this high is high school now. So that's in, the second. Yeah, year. This is his second grade that he's being allowed to um, uh, skip. I think they actually have a term for that. What? Like, the skipping a grade? Yeah, there's there's like a an academic term. But after uh, skipping sophomore year. And by electing to attend summer school, he was able to graduate at age 15. Good God. So he doesn't even have a, a driver's license at this point, even back then. No. Still too young to drive, and he's already graduating high school. I think things um, look bright for, for our for young for academic young Ted. Ted Kaczynski, yeah. things are looking very good. After graduation, or, well, right before graduation, he was one of his high schools or he was his high schools one of five national merit finalists and was encouraged by these people around him to apply to different schools such as harvard yale ivy league, berkeley yeah. yeah the ivy league of course not only was he accepted to harvard but he was granted a scholarship in 1958 at the age of 16. another high school classmate of his is quoted as saying Ted was emotionally unprepared for this moment. Yeah, I, I, that's what we said. You skip a, a grade in grade school, that, that impacts his social life. I mean, that impacts his social development. Um, right. And then you do it again in high school. And then now, now he's going to enter the most rigorous uh, round of courses in the country, in the world, maybe. 
Yeah, yeah. It's a lot for a kid. Yeah, such a young kid. And he, uh, this classmate is, he, he also says, uh, they packed him up and they sent him off to Harvard before he was ready. He didn't have a say and he didn't even have a driver's license. So that kind of puts it into perspective of where things are going. Yeah, I mean, people... on the outside, everything looks like a, a sweet deal. Yeah, because some, he's got a scholarship. Like I'm saying some people have the medal for that, like they, the drive to be like, yeah, I'm in, I'm gonna go through Harvard and, blah, and fucking destroy it. And it sounds like he kind of did, but he definitely had the. I think he I, he was just naturally smart, and I think that all the doors were opening for him because he because he was doing what he did, where he's like, I like to learn and solve shit. And then people were saying that, and like, yes, please keep doing that. Yeah, they were giving him, giving him every opportunity. It's kind of like uh, Goodwill Hunting in a way, in the opposite way. Yeah, yeah. Matter of fact, yeah, that's kind of what. There's a clip I want to I want to play. Let's listen to this clip real quick. Okay. In 1905, there were hundreds of professors renowned for their study of the universe, but it was. A was a 26-year-old Swiss patent clerk doing physics in his spare time who changed the world. Can you imagine if Einstein would have given that up just to get drunk with his buddies in Vienna every night? We all would have lost something. Pretty dramatic, Jerry. No, it isn't, Sean. This boy has that gift. He just hasn't got the direction, but we can give that to him. Hey, Jerry, in the 1960s, there was a young man graduated from University of Michigan, did some brilliant work in mathematics, specifically bounded harmonic functions. Then he went on to Berkeley, was assistant professor, showed amazing potential. Then he moved to Montana and he blew the competition away. Yeah, so who was he? Ted Kaczynski. That's exactly what I'm talking about. We gotta give this kid direction. Yeah, he can contribute to the world and, and we can help him do that. Direction's one thing, manipulation's another. Well, right. Sean! have to let him find Sean, his own. I'm not sitting at home every night twisting my mustache and hatching a, hatching a plan to ruin this boy's life. I was doing advanced mathematics when I was when I was 18, and it still took me over 20 years to do something worthy of a Fields Medal. Well, maybe he doesn't want what you want. There's more to life than a fucking Fields Medal. This is too important, Sean. So that kind of puts it into perspective to where things were in Ted's world. He was really being pushed by his peers. Yeah. And I'm sure a part of him wanted to to fulfill a, a dream. Right. He, and, that was his natural drive. And that I think that was a really co cool point bringing up um, Goodwill Hunting because that's basically what... I love that scene because the guy who's trying to get Matt Damon into this, what, the college or the well, program or... But the point is, is that is that guy genuinely feels like he has Matt Damon's interest at heart because he's like, he can do great things. And Robin Williams is arguing, maybe, but not. You don't know the kid. You yeah, you're you're not gonna exactly. You're, yeah, which is why exactly you're not you're you don't have his best interests at heart. That, that really, for me, hones in what kind of was part of the makings of Ted Kaczynski. You know, he yeah. It, there, there's this uh, external pressure. I, maybe yeah people who they thought they had his best interest because they just wanted to unlock his greatness right um 
but they didn't really um, nurture him. Well, well, possibly it, that's that's what we're going to discuss. You know, that's that's into again. It's not like he wasn't nurtured or didn't have a good upbringing. He was stable up until I th- I think you know, like you said earlier, the, skipping the grades uh, in, in middle school and high school and becoming a social outcast definitely lended a hand into that pressure he probably felt. Yeah, but at then you know advancing so fast academically is definitely a a huge undertaking. That's what he later kind of describes. He feels he kind of missed out on some social aspects and he never really had a relationship with a woman. We'll get deeper into it, but I think that no one could have the foresight to know that he didn't have the drive or really to really navigate it and make the best of it. Right. You know, no one could have the wisdom. Like, yes, the smart thing to do is put him in, in the places where he can shine. But the wisdom would be to know like, Oh, this boy needs something else too. Yeah, There always has to be some sort of release. Whatever it is you're doing, you have to have a day off. Uh, But for, uh, for Kaczynski and Harvard, we'll see will come to find out that it was a rough time and uh so what what happened at harvard so yeah he in his first year he was a uh, he spent at eight prescott street which was designed for the uh, youngest freshmen the the people who were coming in um the under under special circumstances yes i'm sure they had like uh well they lived together there was like four or eight people living in a in a dormitory at a time i'm sure there was some sort of quartermaster, yeah. They you might call it. It was of all of all the people at Harvard, they were the closest possible people to his peers that they right. could put him with. Right, 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 right. Um, so his suitmates uh, there said that he still kind of avoided people there, though. Um, he avoided contact with the others. Uh, he was, everyone everyone regarded him as just a genius. A yeah, yeah, a loner, but a genius. So I, I oh, guess so, okay, he got so, that. He was well known for his intellect then. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think, yeah, I think again, he just, uh, he just had that drive, you know, he just, he had what he liked, which is trying to solve things. It's probably what, yeah, he was comfortable with what he liked. Learning. Not worrying about anyone else. Because that made sense. That's what made sense to him. I don't think people made sense to him. Uh, he probably had a lot of other opinions about the world, you know, with that academic lens. Yeah, that's what I mean. You they, know what I mean? He probably I mean. saw the world a lot differently from the average guy. That's exactly what I mean. He, he probably couldn't process a lot of things. And, yeah. and for a guy who his entire drive and motivation seems to be to solve things, that, that, that it does not compute. Um, but you bring up his worldview. Uh as a sophomore, he's entered into a study which everybody talks about. So this is this is the this is the thing that yeah this, this is, is the kind of like the key moment, elephant in the room kind of moment. Yeah, and what the fuck was it with Ivy League studies? But I, all right, before I get into that, right, <laughs> um, so he he. The, the thing he had to participate in, let's let me let me pull it up over here real quick, just so I have a reference. Yeah, so he it's exactly what you said, his worldview. So he had to think about his worldview and put it on paper. Well, let's it, it was it was a, a study that included twenty or so odd 
undergrads. Yeah. Freshmen and sophomores. He was a sophomore at the time when mm-hmm. he entered. And go ahead. It was yeah, basically explaining they, your opinions and worldviews yeah. on they, they your had own the, personal yeah, they, they, opinion. They were under the impression that they would be kind of like putting their world I guess worldview and opinion philosophical opinions um, and then they would kind of be in, involved in a debate with other underclassmen and undergrads, right? undergrads yeah. and yeah, things like that. But what they actually happened was they, I, what actually did happen? They just, well, I, as oh, that's right. Yeah. The essays were turned over to, to, uh, some it's, sort of lawyer. Yeah. Like a lawyer or a law student or no, it was a lawyer. I think it, it was an anonymous lawyer and in a different session, apart from the writing session, this lawyer would come in and if uh, I'm the lawyer and you're Ted Kaczynski and I have your essay, your essay in hand, I'm reading off bullet points and I'm belittling you. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, I'm calling you names and uh, I'm attacking you in the worst possible verbal way. Yeah, apparently the, the entire goal... The actual goal of the study was to make the subjects angry. So I guess it was just to attack them for their philosophical beliefs or whatever. It was and just spark to, some sort just of to, anger. Yeah, just them. to challenge them on a basic intellectual level. I'm not sure what it was. Um, it was led by Howard Murray. Henry Murray. Henry Murray, excuse me. Yeah, who was uh, he during World War II? He was part of the OSS. Which is the the yeah the Office of Strategic Services, which eventually dissolved immediately after World War II, then re- reformed into what we now know as U.S. Special Operations Command (SOCOM). SOCOM has you know defense. They have you know. You well, know. let me. Can I can I stop you right there? I thought OSS eventually evolved into CIA. They were dissolved in 1945, so the end of World War II, and. Their assets were kind of spread over all sorts of things, and in 1946, the Truman creates the CIG, the Central Intelligence Group, which eventually became the CIA. The CIG used a whole bunch of assets from the so OSS. OSS was basically the the keystone for other branches of intelligence agencies. Yeah, intelligence research and all sorts of things. So, yeah. So this guy was a scientist with them. I'm assuming he did the same thing. In fact, I think a coworker describes his work at Harvard as just continuing the work he did with the OSS, just under wow. under academic grants. Well, I think a lot of that was going on after World War II. Yeah, yeah. So that's, throughout major Ivy League universities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's where they all went. Yeah, yeah. And then they got grant money to just do whatever the hell they wanted. And then we got that shit, and we got the Stanford experiment, and we got all sorts of... We- I mean, well, That's I a whole nother... I, I don't know if that's related to OSS, but... Um, no, I think that was just a doctor yeah. just trying to do something. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. What the hell's going on in Ivy oh, League? Summertime. Let's set up a prison. No one expects that... No one strives to get into Ivy League. If you get into Ivy League, there's a chance you might be a straight-up guinea pig. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was the 50s. Yeah. Maybe well, I, I don't know what it's like now, but yeah. Well, like I said, California doesn't want me. So they had to. How many? I know it was a long time. They they had to go through this, and all this was filmed. Yeah, the lawyer attacking the student or the subject rather, mm-hmm. and um, they the were hooked up to shit. What's that? They were hooked up to shit. Yeah, 
I'm sure they were hooked up to heart monitors and all that shit. And um, their expressions of anger and rage were later played back to them. So this is how inverted this experiment goes. You write an essay, you give it to your professor. Yeah. The professor turns it to a lawyer who then tears you apart based on what you wrote. And then while that's happening, you're being filmed. Then you get shown the film of you being angry. And this goes on for 200 hours for Ted Kaczynski. Through that. It goes on for somewhere around three three years. years. Every week. Once a week. Once a week. Why would you continue that? Was it, was he getting paid or credits? I don't know if he was getting paid or compensated get, in some f- way as far as credits go, but it was uh, it was Kaczynski's lawyers later on attributed all of his hostility towards this mind control experiment that they were running back at Harvard. So. Obviously, some things went haywire in Ted's mind during these three years he was at Harvard being picked apart mentally as a guinea pig. Now, counterpoint from, um, well, not really a counterpoint, but Kathleen Puckett, who is an FBI special agent. She she was one of the people who read through every single page of his 40,000 word manifesto and everything. And she I heard it was a lot of dribble. Yeah. Um, she actually said that um, that had little effect, and it was really is is social anxiety, yeah, is social anxiety and and withdrawal. Um, that was that was her opinion. I'm just saying counter counterpoint to before we delve into conspiracy. Well, yeah, well not delve into conspiracy, but too too harshly construct a narrative that the 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 evil experiment. Uh, made made a bright boy mad, you know. Fair um, enough. I mean, if I I don't I can't find any recordings of any any data on it, you know. I mean, I I, I can some I can imagine well, him you ever like heard laughing of, at it. Have like, you ever heard of scream therapy? Where you just like scream? Well, you scream, you know, your whatever you're feeling. You know, mm-hmm. if you're angry about something, you scream. Uh, essentially at the person you're angry with mm-hmm. uh kind of like they did in this experiment you think maybe he, i don't know if it's very do you effective think, i was gonna say do you think maybe he got anything out of it academically maybe he liked being challenged i don't know he went through it for three years I, so i i, I mean, mean i i wonder if he did man but I mean, like I, you said, I, I, like I said, I don't want to dive down into conspiracy no, holes, just, rabbit holes because I, you've already brought up OSS and there's already a slew of conspiracy out there on the web concerning Kaczynski and the CIA and all that shit. And yeah. I'm not going to open up that box on this podcast, maybe some other time, but. Not with now. like MK Ultra and shit. Yeah, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of uh, conspiracy theory that say that Murray was, like you said, oh con- yeah, because he's OSS. Continue- oh yeah, continuing the uh, the work of the OSS, which I think by this time is close to becoming CIA, mm-hmm. and um, you know, 
that when, when did that um, Kaczynski was some sort of a Manchurian candidate, and <laughs> you know he was being he was being fed instructions on how to to plant bombs and build bombs and no yeah i don't believe that well that's what i'm saying i don't want to feed into that side of the story i just want to kind of keep it yeah no that doesn't that doesn't sound that just sounds like too much too much of a stretch so that that lasts what three years yeah but despite all of this you know, all these weird psychological studies, some say mind control <laughs> studies. Despite all of it, Ted earns his Bachelor of Arts degree in math in 1962, finishing with an above average IQ, or excuse me, GPA, with uh, 3.12. Not good enough. <laughs> <laughs> Matter of fact, he had been expected to perform better. But I'm sure those experiments had a little... Ah, senior slide. (laughs) Spring break. Yeah, he said said just once. Or no, what was it? He had a... uh, You never know, maybe... He had a phys ed class. (laughs) (laughs) But after um, he gets his bachelor's, he's not done with school. Because... No, you know, why not? When you're able to go to the University of Michigan and get paid to learn, <laughs> basically. Yeah, I mean, and th- that's where a lot of um, people who just, uh, excuse me, study math go. It's just, they just continue at the academically. Yeah. That's, well, in 62, yeah. he earned, a, or he enrolled, rather, at uh, University of Michigan, where he, he did earn his master's and doctorate in 1964 and 1967, respectively. How old was he? At this point, uh, do the math. He was born in, what did we say? So he's 25. 25 when he earns his... His doctorate. He's a doctor in mathematics. At, at 25. This point. Yeah. Wow. At that point, he was offered an annual grant of $2,300. I'm sorry, $2,310, which is about $19,000 with adjusted inflation in around 2018 um, as well as a teaching post so he got a a grant and a teaching post mm-hmm. um, that sucks yeah that's a real raw deal isn't it that really sucks I think I I know a lot of people well, I don't personally know a lot of people but I've heard that people who pursue academic careers and then you know have to get stuck teaching well his Intellect and everybody was impressed with his intellect at yeah, this point. Sure, but but at this, uh, his his professors were really impressed with his drive. You mentioned his his will to keep going. Yeah, and that's what uh, his professors really saw in him. Professor Peter Duran said, "Quote: He was focused on his work. He had a drive to find a mathematical truth. He was a very unusual person." End quote. But. I think uh, I don't think you know his teachers saw him anything other than a, a a brilliant mind because that's all he showed to people probably but I don't meaning they didn't see anything you know sinister in him sure why yeah why would they they just saw him as a uh, a very focused guy mm-hmm. um, so uh, Ted is a published 
writer as well, twice, other than his manifesto. But he, he has a uh, dissertation. He, yes, two dissertations in two math journals. Uh, he accomplished that before leaving Berkeley, or I'm sorry, leaving Michigan and continuing on to Berkeley. Mm hmm. In late 1967, he became the youngest assistant professor in the history of the University of California, Berkeley, where he taught, he, he taught, it's kind of like teaching. He taught undergrads in calculus and geometry. So at this point, he's probably putting a gun to his own head with a bottle of scotch every night. Yeah. Because he's a genius. He's, and he's a genius teaching triangles. To undergrads. To undergrads, yeah. Freshmen. Oh, my God. Freshmen and sophomores. Professor Kaczynski, is this going to be on the final? Yes! <laughs> <laughs> Wait, they, he didn't even give them that much. <laughs> he didn't particularly enjoy teaching. So he, he explained things directly from textbooks. Because remember, oh, man. He, has, he doesn't have a social, you know... Yeah, he social ability. Yeah, he doesn't know how <laughs> ability, to... Ability, thank he, you. He doesn't have a presentation skills. So he, he, he teaches directly from textbooks, I guess verbatim, and refuses to answer questions. And so as we look at the, at the square root of the, the hypotenuse, just raises <laughs> his finger up when somebody raises their hand. I don't understand. Just keeps going. He doesn't even look up. Let's, let's dwell on this for a minute. Unpack <laughs> it for a second. It's 1967 in California, uh -huh. Berkeley. You know, it, it's a beautiful part of this country. And in 67, college kids, college freshmen aren't worried about calculus and geometry. They're worried about, you know, when the next free period is. He's, <laughs> and he's 25. And he's 25, yeah. So these are kids that are kind, not much younger than him. No. No, he's no, he pile that him on, as a, pile all that on with the fact that he's an absolute genius and social outcast, and uh, you know he's been through a torturous time at Harvard. Yeah, and just you the just fact, don't you, like people anymore. No, no, I bet. Yeah, we just nailed it right there. Everyone talks about the pot potential of. Uh, MK Ultra and his, it was the psychological experiments. No, he he was it's, a teacher. <laughs> yeah, he wanted to. This man could at some point probably see the future in a sense. Yeah, he with with <laughs> you know the problem solving ability that he had mm -hmm. may not have always been right. You know, as far as his worldview goes, but. You know, I can I can definitely understand why he, he he was turned off to people and became a total misanthrope. Yeah, um, that sucks. <laughs> he 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 sought mathematical truth and 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 order in the universe of in a, in a universe of chaos, and then it, he was stuck writing a syllabus. <laughs> <laughs> also, you know, they've also opened the door. That's what it is. That's like. And that's what he didn't understand, I think. That's what I, I think maybe they didn't prepare him for. Is the fact like, that there could be another one of him sitting in a desk. Is, yeah, it's like on this track, you're going to need more than just your smarts. The and, knowledge. Yeah, it's great that up until this point, you were able to just 
be smart and succeed, but when it comes to crafting your own life, you need a little bit more than just how smart you are. Exactly. If you're because like right, you need to just suck it up and say, okay, I'm a teacher today. I gotta fucking let me try to share what I have with these people or something. Just look at it differently. He didn't look at it a certain way. Is all I'm saying. So. He didn't last very long as a as a math teacher. How long did he last? He was he started at Berkeley in late '67, and in June of '69, he uh, he abruptly resigned, leaving everything behind and uh, no reason. Left and moved back home with his parents in Illinois, Lombard, Illinois. They did the pencil drop. <laughs> they were like, and he just he closed the textbook. He's like, I'm going to kill you all, and he walked out. yeah it's uh it's kind of a fallen from grace tale here in the first half yeah um so what happens when uh when he goes back to uh illinois well he went back home with his fam reconnected with his young brother david and uh that was in the summer of 1969 uh they go camping together uh to british columbia where's british columbia canada shout out to british columbia <laughs> you, you really didn't know where british columbia was i it was one of those things wow shut up it was one of those things <laughs> it's you can cut that if you want. No, no, I'm keeping it. <laughs> it's fine. It's, this is it's a raw moment, okay? Why is it called British Columbia? There's It's two names. And that, they speak French. <laughs> make up your fucking mind. Shout out to British Columbia. Um, <laughs> I think I could be wrong. I'm an asshole. They speak it on the... On the um, Such an ignorant American. They speak it on the right side of the map. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God, we're so ignorant. Catch us on our other podcast. We don't know shit. All right, so... Um, Doesn't his brother... Um, his brother hire him? His brother works at, like, a, a rubber factory, a rubber foam factory. Is that what he did? I didn't... I, I don't have Yeah, he's, that. like, a, a, a he's, manager of some So sort. he's working with his brother. They go... They. For a short time, yeah. Okay. Uh, once he moves back home, yeah, he lives with his parents and he starts working for his brother or with his brother underneath him in some some form. But I, I you know, it, it didn't take. He didn't mm. stick to it. And I think he made some uh, some people uncomfortable there. And he may have even made a sexual advance towards a woman. I could be wrong. Which, for which, which part? When he was uh, working there? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I'm not saying he, like, did anything extreme, but not I think only he... only blowing up airplanes. I mean, while he was... Before he started. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, well, he... Uh, okay, so, yeah. On that, he took a trip with his brother to British Columbia, and this is significant because during that trip, he tried to buy some land, but his application was denied, and... Uh, that Being was, an American. Yeah, time. yeah, I guess. Um, but this was the first time that his brother David witnessed uh, the, I guess, extent of Ted's social anxiety as an adult. 
uh, he, he he went into what he calls a shutdown mode. Um, so Ted, what after this denial? Yeah, after the denial, Ted was really broken up about it, and I, I and that's what Ted does, I guess, is he, he withdraws. Okay. And that was the first time David saw the way he did that as an adult after years of being away, you know. Okay. That's a good way of, uh, nice way of understanding things now. So with the help of, uh, da- with the help of David, though, in the 70s, 1971, uh, they acquired some land outside the town of Lincoln in Montana. And uh, that's where the brothers would build a small one-room cabin with no running water or electricity. Right. This is the famous Unabomber shack. Hmm. Uh, basically, we have a little picture up right now we're looking at. Uh, it's one room with, I think, maybe one window, it looks like, up yeah. there. And a bunch of shelves. He That's built it. this with his brother? Yeah. What did his brother expect it to be? Oh, I have no idea. He's like, but it does look like there was a uh, uh, some sort of like a hatch, a furnace there in the center that looks like it would be a chimney pipe. Yeah, Yeah, you're right. Exactly. Okay, so it was probably just like a cabin. Uh, It was uh, probably just it was like a hunter's cabin. Yeah, an outpost. That's basically what a hunter's cabin. We're looking at at the at the picture. As it is, like I guess, post Unabomber with the well, yeah. This is actually, I think, in the Smithsonian. Yeah, DC. Or in the uh, yeah, it is one of the national museums down there. The news museum. That's it. Museum. An interactive museum that promotes free expression and the First Amendment. Okay. <laughs> it's a museum in DC. <clears throat> anyway, this cabin that they built was like geometrically perfect. I was just mathematically. Oh yeah, it was uh, mathematically like just to the golden ratio. Exactly. I think that's what they may have been going. Are you serious? (laughs) Maybe in Ted's mind. Yeah. Because listen, David was pretty intelligent himself. Mm -hmm. Not on Ted's level. Ted really outshined his younger brother, but David was by no means a dummy. He was. He's also very very intelligent. Um. We don't have his IQ scores, unfortunately. No, they didn't tell him about they, the test. If you don't score off the fucking charts on your IQ test, it's you're basically a moron. Yeah. <laughs> it's also retroactive, I think. It's like maybe they take it, and then it's only after you do something extreme that they're like, oh, let's look into his history a little. So he, he lived nearby the cabin in uh, Great Falls. Yeah, it's about 80 miles away from his, his parents' house and from where David lives. Okay, so they just went out there camping. That was just their camping area. And, initially. Uh, yeah. Initially, yeah. yeah. But I think, um, like I said, there was some sort of situation where David had to fire Ted. Mm-hmm. And um, after that moment, that's when he made the, the move to cut off society completely and... Uh, and uh, retire to the cabin. Maybe he felt like um, he fucked things up with his family, and and maybe that was that was it. Or, but... um, yeah, oh yeah, I'm sure that was probably just yeah one of the straws that that broke the camel's back and um, pushed him away from everybody. Yeah, because I'm because what he what he uh, went away and ultimately end up doing, you know, it's not like one day this the next day that he was he was building to it yeah. this and probably for years 
during this whole time. It's just like when and where. When did all that form? Well, you know what? I I really think a a big, not a big part of it, but a good portion of his mentality and his outlook had to come from that uh, psychological study because, again, they wrote down their their beliefs, their outlooks, their personal points of views on certain things of the world. Mm-hmm. And then they were really belittled about that. They were abused and, and told that the, whatever they believed was wrong and stupid and, uh, and these terrible things were going to happen if this was, you know, all bullshit. But I'm sure that skewed Ted's outlook overall. Maybe. And in his manifesto, I'm sure, you know, there's little pieces of that. Yeah, I don't know. I, 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 for instance, if he thought while he was a sophomore and it's just the first week of this study, and uh, he writes down that he thinks you know, uh, I don't know, Richard Nixon is the best thing that's happened to American politics, and they they tell him he's a complete moron for three years. Yeah, uh, maybe. You know, his view on politics is totally whittled down into nothing. Possibly. or That's just some sort of comparison I'm trying to make. That's a, a hypothesis, possible hypothesis. of how I, I, I am one of mine to think that him skipping too much, you know, skipping two grades, I think, yeah. was a little too much for him. I think he needed a little extra care socially. I think he needed to be pushed in yeah, certain ways, so definitely d- d- uh, different ways than um. Yeah, maybe mom was. and dad could have like. Uh, I mean, obviously hindsight's there, right. Like, yeah, but no, we don't know. We don't right. There's no. I just. I obviously hindsight is twenty twenty, but I think that is what would have helped. Um, I don't think that those experiments helped, but I wonder if instead of him, so much focus on the academics. Well, yeah, but I wonder if that experiment, if it led to some sort of, like, defensiveness. Absolutely. Yeah, so, like, you know, you double down on your beliefs, and it's like, you're just going through life and just trying to, like, confirm everything you already think in your head. And for a smart guy, he's already isolating himself. Excuse me. I'm gonna, I I go off the beaten path a lot. No, you're fine. Um, Well, I don't know. I'm just, I'm skipping too far ahead about, like... No, we're just uh, you know speculating on his on his mindset as to why would you cut yourself off, you know, from the rest of the world, from your family. Well, he he cut him. We know that much. He cut himself off because no, I'm just I'm explaining what we're doing. That's yeah, what we did. We're yeah, speculating. Yeah, speculating. But I'd I'd say specifically him cutting himself off, regardless of what he did thereafter, him cutting himself off was it's just what he did. That's just what was comfortable to him. So that was kind of like a natural evolution. Yeah. Especially for people who go camping, you know. Yeah. I, I, I don't know that. I guess they were that, that type of family that would, you know, hunt, camp, fish. They were yeah. maybe like an outdoors family. I, I, I don't know. But they felt. it. it, it I think a lot of people get confused that like this was Ted's shack. I mean, it was right, essentially, yeah. well, but that's the him image. and his brother, you know, they both had a hand in, in building it. So my mind wonders if, if David had ideas for the, for the cabin as well. 
you know, because they did visit. They did visit Ted. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like he moved up there and that was that. They never saw him again. Right. It, it was, David would visit on occasion. Yeah, he, they knew where His he was. His parents and, would visit on yeah. occasion. Yeah, he was being honest about what he was doing. He's like, I just don't like this. And then he 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 wanted to be self sufficient for a while. He didn't just go be a crazy hermit and start blowing shit up. He he tried to live. Yeah, but there was some strange instances like on one um David and his parents all the the three of them drove up to see Ted and they saw him driving in the opposite direction on his bicycle and he didn't look up but he waved and kept on going. He didn't even look up but he he just kept kept going into town. Uh never made eye contact and just simply drove off and I don't think they saw him that day. Uh, I mean, at that point, maybe they're they're like, well, that's that's Ted, you know, just give him space, give him space. I guess, I guess they didn't really question it. Um, in the mid seventies, he would uh, he would show up in Salt Lake City, Utah, and um, which what I year? Think, what what year? In the mid seventies. Okay. I don't have a specific year, but between seventy four, seventy five, seventy six, I think that's the same time. Bundy was in that area. All right. Two Teds. Yeah. But he would show up in Salt Lake uh, trying to find odd jobs, menial jobs to support himself and then make his way back to Montana. And in 1978, he came out of his seclusion and moved back home with his parents, as a matter of fact, in their new house in a suburb of Chicago. And... um tried to reconnect with his brother on a more personal level this was this was after uh his time living by himself yeah this yeah. first attempt yeah yeah that's i i was reading about that yeah he 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 taught himself some survival skills and stuff but like the the whole thing didn't really work out it being self-sufficient he said wasn't viable i have to correct myself because I um, made the mistake of saying that Ted was an employee of David's before he moved into the cabin. Oh, oh we got that this out of order? This is actually after the fact that he went, moved into the cabin and came back in 1978 and then tried to reestablish a connection with David on a personal and a professional level. I see. So... He was out in uh, Salt Lake City working for a while. Came back to Mon, or, yeah, came back to um, Montana, and his parents had moved to a Chicago suburb. That's what it was. So he moved in with them, worked with David, and um, went from there. And we can pretty much pick it up uh, on the next next half. Okay. So I just want to really cover where we are right now just because it got a little crazy at the end with who moved and what and where so yeah he okay so it was after he resigned from berkeley he went back home with mom and dad in illinois exactly um and then a couple years with out of living with them he just for whatever reason decided to move to a cabin and wanted to be self-sufficient and live the simple life right Try to, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Be totally self-sufficient. Hunt, fish, yeah. and uh, live on his own with no connection with technology or um, any kind of uh, 
lifestyle that was yeah. um, oh no just yeah they use self-sufficient and and um people there was even other people who were doing the same thing in the area oh okay so it wasn't totally unusual no, it for, wasn't, yeah. for people to live on the mountain then mm -hmm. okay. I, I personally know somebody who wanted to do that somebody same I, yeah I, um, I know a guy that actually made made an attempt to hike the entire Appalachian Trail yeah it didn't fare very well he no. came back after about two weeks but oh in any event the guy I knew he he wanted to literally seclude himself be completely self-sufficient he said his goal was to build like an Ewok village in the woods and last I heard last I heard he kind of succeeded again like I guess like Ted like varying success but I I don't think it pans out long I don't think it's that's very hard to do yeah it's 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 time consuming and it's costly mm -hmm. to be self-sufficient yeah <laughs> no, you're just at the mercy of so much if you if you need to, if you're trying to be entirely like on your own no. yeah you watch those shows like uh you know those guys that build their, their own survival bunkers and, yeah and it's a lot it's a lot of work but mm -hmm. some guys do it you know i've seen some of those shows where they uh, guys fully self he could be you know fully self-sufficient for a year but it's not like you're living in any kind of comfort no no if the goal is survival then you gotta comforts out the window yeah and if if everyone's in that situation then you know the guy with the gun is just like i'll just take that guy's shit <laughs> <laughs> i don't need skills if i have a gun um so anyway he yeah that didn't work out he moved back and then he started working with his brother Right, 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 and uh, yeah, but then that didn't. Not that it didn't work out in the woods. He said it was impossible to live in in the in the wildland because like all the real estate development, and he started like sabotaging shit early in 1975. Anything major? Um, no, I don't think any bombings, but uh, you just started getting uh reading more into political philosophy, and I I guess um yeah, it just sabotage like machinery. With sand and just like poured sugar in snowmobile gas tanks, so okay. he's do, he doing general mischief around this time. That's probably okay. how he's learning, and that's I mean, yeah, that we know where this leads, but that's yeah, these were the seeds. Yeah, these were the seeds. That's how he started to exercise and feel powerful. I, I guess that's where he started to vent his anger. Maybe and maybe moving back home was kind of uh, part of himself telling him. You know that he or trying to regain some control, mm -hmm. maybe at least uh, retain some sanity by moving back home and trying to work a square job. Yeah. You know, but we can unpack all this on part two if you turn in, tune in rather, if you tune in to the next episode of A Dark Tale. Yeah, this was just kind of like a foundation, little coverage of the early life of Teddy Kaz. Yeah, we haven't had a two-parter in a while. We haven't had a real uh, serial killer in a while. and uh, Well, he's he's not really a serial killer, is he? He is, though. Is he? Yeah, he is. he's classified as a serial killer. He's got at least three victims spanned over a period of time. Yeah. So... I think I think that all that's all the criteria for oh, sure. Well, that's a very loose definition, then, isn't it, it? As far as I know, but again, we we can settle that score on the next half of this episode. So tune in next time, 
Yeah, it should uh, be a pretty quick. We should release gap. these within a week of each other, mm-hmm. and um, won't have to wait long. No, no. And we uh, we got a little surprise for you guys. Maybe some new music that we'll be releasing in, uh, in a, maybe this episode, maybe the next one. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see we ha- see how we feel, and we'll see what happens. It's, I mean, we've been saying it since the beginning. The whole thing's a work in progress, and we just like playing around with stuff. And- yeah, so things are going to change, and uh, we may tell you, we may tell, you, we may not tell you. <laughs> I'm just, Let us know what works. I'm just feeding the rumor mill. I know. I just want to know what works. Yeah, like we get, we have plays, but uh, I just need people to yell at us. Yeah. We've gotten some good feedback. I'll take some bad feedback. You can hit me up on um, my personal Twitter handle is at Joe underscore the host. If you want to follow me there, you can follow the podcast at a dark tale pod. You can follow James if you want to plug yours. Nah. If you want to follow James, you got to find them. Simple as that. Yep. And um, Instagram, same thing uh, at a dark tale pod. we're not really active on that, but I, I try to throw some pictures up and preview an episode for you guys. And if you want to shoot us an email about a case that you have in mind you'd like to hear us pick apart, send it over to darktailpodcast at gmail.com and we'll unpack everything for you right here on the episode of uh, your own personal crafting. Uh, the next one we have coming up is uh, another... Um, advocacy case for what could be a murdered brother but was initially ruled a suicide so more on that later but until then stay safe out there because evil could be anywhere That's it. It's over.